0: Always, everyone. Well, yay! Oh, be even better. So, I am Carrie, and I'm the Student Ministry Director here at K2, and I am so happy to have the chance to be able to speak with you guys all today. Dave Nelson is actually on a plane, or probably landed now, on his way to Swaziland. Uh, maybe driving now from Johannesburg into Swaziland, and um, and I get the privilege of being here with you all today. So. Um, just, I just want to say th- welcome, and let's have a fun day. Hopefully everybody got a rock on the way in. Did you? All right, we'll get back to these soon. Um, but before we get going, I just want to start with prayer. I'm not sure how many people woke up to the news this morning of a, another mass shooting in Orlando, and about 20 people they're saying have lost their lives and 42 injured. And. Um, Given the subject matter of our sermon series on making ripples in people's lives, it always just shocks me how short the people in our life, their lives may be. And um, and it adds an extra weight to today. And so I just really wanted to pray for their the victims' families and the people responding, but then also pray for us on how we can build into people even sooner while we have them in our life. So let's go ahead and pray right now. Heavenly Father, my heart just hurts right now for um, the senseless act of violence, Lord. And I just pray right now for the victims' families, Lord, that you show your amazing love and bring people around them right now, God, to show love the way you would have. Lord, and I, uh, I also pray for the people recuperating right now, Lord, and in hospitals, Lord, and, um, and just remind us to not wait, to not wait to say the things we need to say, Lord, and I just thank you for being such a loving God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today we're continuing our sermon series on a ripple effect, and so that's why I have rocks. Because for me, I grew up in Minnesota and you would like, skip rocks, like everybody did it, there was lakes everywhere. And you would make an impact when you threw a stone into the water, and it would make this impact. And if you threw one in, it was really pretty, and it would go out, and it would just be kind of smooth again, shortly after. But today we're talking about what happens when you make repeated impact in someone's life. A repeated impact where you are like, I'm going to throw not just one stone, but I'm going to feed into their life time after time after time after time. And we have a phrase called, I see in you, and it will come up here. And for some of you, might be slow like I am and you don't get this, but it's supposed to be, I see, get it, in you, I see in you. So what i see in you is the moment when you either confirm what somebody's feeling or you speak even greater things into their life so it's talking about their future it's about what they might not even know the potential they have a quote that zig Ziglar said is when you encourage others You, in the process, are encouraged, because you're making a commitment and a difference in that person's life. Continued ripples become waves. And so today, I want to just talk about what it looks like to be that person in someone else's life. Sit right now for a second, and think of someone that's encouraged you. Hopefully, all of you have at least one. Someone who's encouraged you, who stood beside you, who cheered you on. Hopefully everybody has at least somebody. For me, that person was my dad. I'm a daddy's girl, what can I do? And he was amazing, and he had this like zest for life, and he loved current affairs, and he loved reading, and he was super smart. And I have all these memories growing up where it was the middle of the night, and he would literally drag me out of bed and put me on the couch and say, you've got to watch this. So I'll be aging myself here, but I actually saw and watched Charles and Diana's wedding live. The Berlin Wall coming down, sometimes it was northern lights in northern Minnesota and you'd be like, you got to see this, and he was always having these moments. So he wasn't always maybe the most touchy like Dave talked about last week, or always said the exact right words, but he showed me day after day, week after week, what it means to build up. Well, out of all of those current events, my dad's favorite was politics. And he would have me watch every debate, every convention, every election. And my first memory, and I can very clearly watch see the debate in my head, was the Carter-Reagan debate. (laughs) I remember this, okay? So 1980, for those of historic people that don't know the date, but it was four years later that I had the moment that he actually spoke something even greater into me than I could think of myself. And it was, so Reagan gets elected, Here's your history lesson for the day. Everybody loves him. Yay, Reagan. Some poor schmuck has to run against him. His name is Mondale. And from Minnesota, we were Mondale people, because that was the only state he got, right? Anybody remember? Okay. And he was from there. And he picks a running mate. And his running mate... Twenty-some years before any other female would ever run as vice president was a woman vice president, Geraldine Ferraro. And he drags me in, puts me next to him on the couch, he goes, Gary, Gary, look at this. You could be, and he pauses, and I'm like, ooh, someday running for vice president, right? He goes, no, 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 no. You could be, and I'm like, I know, I know, vice president. He goes, no. Someday you could be president. My mind would have never gone there, not for a second. And let's be honest, I could never be president, right? For those of you that don't know me, I have a little bit of an attitude problem sometimes. And this would be me during a debate. That is the stupidest thing I ever heard. And I would like, no one would ever listen to me. Like, always rolling my eyes at the other candidates. But he, more importantly than just saying, you could be president, he was saying, you can do anything. You can do anything. That was him throwing a stone and causing a ripple time and time again. As those ripples incurred and keep growing and growing, it became a wave. Thessalonians five eleven says therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing Now I love this passage because it actually reminds me of K2 It reminds me of you guys because you're already doing it This is one of the most loving amazing churches. I've ever been a part of and the people are encouraging so way to go all of you but he's saying Encourage and build each other up even more. Make a greater impact. And then Acts 17.26 says, From one man he made every nation, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. Whoa. Whoa. Think about that. God has placed each one of you exactly here, at this point in history, surrounded by the people you have in your life on purpose. Every single one of you are surrounded by these people on purpose to make an impact. He wants you to be the one that throws the encouragement and stands beside them. To see in them, I see in you. Moments. Now, a disclaimer before we move on. Some of you guys did not have a dad like me. Let's just be really honest. Some of you guys did not have a mom that was encouraging. Some of you did not get this the way God intended you to get it. From spouses or parents. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about this as we dive into the message. And Rhett's going to talk some about it next week. But I just want you guys to know, if today's a healing moment for you, let that be what today's about for you. Okay? Because that is a real and honest thing that you have to feel. And it's not right. It is not right that you did not have that. So I'm going to talk and dive into 1 Samuel chapter 16 today. And Samuel was a prophet. And in this passage, he has his first and major encounter with David, who ends up becoming king. And Samuel, he grew up. He was in charge of all of Israel and prophet of Israel. And all of a sudden, the people start whining. We want a king. We don't like a prophet leading us. We want a king. And so unlike me, he was like, all right. I'll find you a king. I would have had attitude, but he was good. And um, he goes out and he finds a, go- a guy named Saul. And God has him anoint Saul, pick Saul, and Saul is big and strong and smart and, and he's a warrior. And he stands beside Saul for years and feeds into Saul for years. He went from top dog to second dog, no problem. He knew that that's what he was made for. But something happens in Saul's heart. Saul starts wigging out, guys. Saul starts wigging out, and he goes, and he starts doing things that's not honoring to God. So God says, my favor's no longer with him. Now, he's still king. Saul may not even know this, (laughs) but his favor's off of Saul, and he tells Solomon, go find a new king. And this is where we pick up. And from this chapter, I have three things that we'll, I'd like to point out that will um, encourage us as we move forward in encouraging other people. The first one is God wants us to keep making waves. To keep making waves. The more ripples you create, the bigger the wave and the greater the impact. So the science of this is actually real. The more often this type of action happens in, on the Earth, it starts actually shaping. us where canyons come from. This non-stop waves of hitting on side of rock and it starts shaping and changing the shape of that rock. Lakes are changed. Environment, the things that we love in all of Southern Utah, water and waves and ripples in most cases created that rock. But Samuel, we pick him up here, he's not the most willing participant anymore. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, you're tired, you're done. Samuel is like he's done it for a while. He's at the end of his life, it says. Saul reigned for about 40 years, and you'll remember he's still reigning at this point, but it is well into it. And he had been with him all along. And so we pick up at 1 Samuel 16.1. The Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now what I love about this passage, look at this first, the first part. How long will you mourn for Saul? Now I had to ask myself this question. How long would have he had to have been moping around for God to become impatient with him? It was probably a while, because God's pretty patient he's like, dude, get up let's go you can't just lay there and mourn for him that would be my version dude I don't know if God really speaks he speaks to me that way dude get go get up Samuel was done he's like I've led Israel I've raised a king my life is at the point that I am out and God said no it's just beginning it's just beginning and then you find out that he's also fearful look at uh, chapter 16 verse 2 Samuel said how can I go if Saul hears about it he will kill me now I'm gonna stop there so he's afraid right he's super scared Saul doesn't even know that God's presence has left him and God's telling him just go get another king I'll take care of that later. And he's scared. I don't know if anybody's ever been scared about doing what God's asked you to do. I have. But now look at God's response. The Lord says, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint the one I indicate. He completely ignores him. I'm afraid." And guys are like, okay, this is what you pack. <laughs> this is what you pack! Do you guys ever do that? Any parents do that to your children? And they start like whining and then you're like... And I said, move, go to the bus stop. I don't know how many times I say go to the bus stop during the school year on the morning. Get out of the door. I don't understand how hard it is. Open the door and go. Walk out. But what about, walk out. But what about, walk out. God's saying that to him. But what about this? He goes, just start packing. Here's your packing list. Because God has a bigger plan. God's got this covered. He was afraid, but God said go. Because he wants him to keep making waves. He's done a ton. He did more than probably any of us will do in our lifetime. And God still wasn't done with him. Keep going. Keep making waves. Now when I've read this chapter, I don't know how many people have read this chapter before. It's one of the best of the whole Bible. Go back and read it. Um, I have always read it through the perspective of David. And I never related to David. David is young. He's buff. He kills lions and bears. He plays the harp. He's super cool, right? Becomes king. I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's not me. And God's like, Carrie, go back and read this through the eyes of Samuel. And when I did it, I was like, oh, I get him. I get him. Because I, not too long ago, was done. So I was on staff already here at K2 a few years ago when I ended up getting pregnant with our third daughter, and she is now almost turning six. And I went to Dave Nelson and I said, all right, I'm old, I was actually, I think they call it advanced maternal age. Please, I was old unexpectedly pregnant, and I kind of have some sicknesses, so it was not pretty. And so I went to Dave and I'm like, I'm out, I'm tapping out, this is it. Obviously I can't do it anymore, I need to take care of myself, I'm tapping out. And Nelson looks at me and says basically what God tells Samuel, no you're not. And I was like, yeah I am. And he's like, No, you're not. And he did it lovingly, because he's like, you can take as much time as you want. You can take an extended maternity leave. And I ended up taking nine months. You take as long as you want, just don't say you're done. And this is where I got a little sassy. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you get a glimpse into staff meetings around here. I get a little sassy and I decided to throw his wife under the bus. Okay. And I said, at the time, Susie was a stay-at-home mom, and I'm like, well, your wife gets to stay home and take care of the kids. That did not go down well. He's like, she is not called to suit a ministry. You are. And even though it was a little chastising it was needed because I felt the love that he was saying he was like take care of yourself I think you would have been okay if it was three four or five years until she went to kindergarten and I was back he just knew and recognized and saw in me I wasn't done and I needed that at that time I needed to hear that from him and I never brought up Susie again that was like one of those moments that um, were really important to me. But God also will use you in your younger years. See, Samuel knew what it felt like to have somebody build up into him because his mom, her name was Hannah, and Hannah couldn't have kids. And so she had a fabulous husband, and the Bible actually says he was, took so good care of her because she couldn't have kids he actually gave her double portions of food. No, that's a good husband. <laughs> she was loved by him. And so she started praying and said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Well, she gets pregnant, and she has Samuel. And after he's weaned, she brings him to a priest named Eli, to live and to grow. And the Bible says every year, every year, she would make a little robe and bring it to him. Now I looked up this little robe, and it is the same Hebrew word that the priests would wear that are described in Leviticus with all the adornments and all the priestly stuff. So picture this, she's making an adorable little priest robe. Like if that's not speaking into his future, I don't know what is. She's telling him, you already are this. And 1 Samuel 1, 28 says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked for. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And then she starts making these little robes. I picture those people that dress their little babies like in baseball uniforms, right? I, I put my girls in a Vikings cheerleader outfit, none of them are cheerleaders. It's it's kind of disappointing. No. (laughs) And so that's what they would wear. But think about it. How come come nobody dresses their their little babies as like little lawyers and stuff? Like little tiny suits. He's going to be president. Look at his suit. (laughs) But that's what she was doing. She was telling him, you already are a servant of God. You already are. The more ripples you create, and she did this yearly, the more ripples you create with this, The bigger the wave and the greater the impact. In fact, the Bible says that Samuel heard from God in a way that nobody else did. Nobody. In fact, if you read through it, they almost have a conversation like they're just standing next to each other. Just back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. Like, even when Moses did, he had to hide his face because the glory, like, back and forth. They were totally, they were like, they could just talk to each other. And you'll see that coming up in the story. So, Hannah's husband builds her up. She builds up her son. He hears from God and raises up kings. That's a ripple. That's an I see in you moment, don't you think? Raising up kings? Now, anybody that's ever adopted a child knows this. You cannot take a new child into your house, tell them one time, I love you, you're going to be safe, and they're fine. It takes day after day after year after year to build that trust and shape their future, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The more ripples you create, the bigger the wave and greater the impact thing that we learn from the story is God wants obedience and not perfection. Is there anyone else in here that's a complete mess up? Okay, good. I'm not alone. I think I apologize more than anybody I know. I'm constantly messing up. And as we can see, Samuel's already kind of messed up. Well, he's about to mess up bigger. Okay? He doesn't even want to go. He doesn't even want to get out of bed for this guy. But God's like, do it anyhow. And there was one time I messed up pretty big with a teenager, and I was leading a drama team full of teenagers at our other church, and she is an amazing teen. And she was super hyper just like me, I felt like we were like completely one, okay? And she was just obnoxious and funny and amazing. And as she left, and she was about as far from here to the back wall, and her parents had just walked in to get her me being the obnoxious, sarcastic self that I am, yell, it was great having you, but tomorrow, don't forget your Ritalin. Okay, so all of a sudden they stop dead in their tracks, walk all the way up to me, look at me in the face, and she goes, I'm so sorry, I'll take my Ritalin tomorrow. I was like, I was sarcastically talking like that, I didn't know, I didn't know, I couldn't believe it, I'm like they're never going to forgive me. And I've never made that joke again to anybody, learned my lesson that day, but what was interesting is because I had a relationship with her before, apologized, and continued my relationship, it was okay to fail, it was okay to make the mistake, and she still loved me. The more times we are and the more ripples we cross in people's life, our mistakes are going to happen. God expects us to make mistakes. A C.S. Lewis quote I love says, failures, repeated failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. One fails forward towards success. Now let's jump back into 1 Samuel and see how he did this. So he gets to Jesse's house experiencing what he had already experienced with Saul, takes the look at the first oldest brother he sees. He's like, that dude's big. I'll take him. And God's like, uh-uh. So this is what God tells him. First Samuel 16, 6 and 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or at his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And God just spoke that clearly to him right then. This is one of my favorite passages. If you don't know that one, memorize that one. And tell yourself that if you're ever down on yourself. The Lord looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. So Samuel learned his from his mistake, right? No. Brother number two, same deal. God's like, Nope. Brother number three, nope, four, nope, five, nope, six, nope, seven, no. And he's finally so frustrated, he looks at Jesse and goes, you have to have another kid. I don't know what's going on here, but God very clearly told me to come here. And he goes, oh, I do have the little one. did not even think about him. He's outside taking care of the sheep. Well, I think you should get him. And it turns out it's him. It's the one that didn't even fight inside. He's the one. If we all waited till we have everything right, we would never move. What if after that first mistake, Samuel said, ah, I guess I'm wrong. I'm a terrible leader. I'm a terrible prophet. Prophets are supposed to have 100% accuracy. And off he went. No. He let himself fail seven times as he let God speak to him and correct each thing he did. God expects you guys to make mistakes. It's okay. You've got to forgive yourself and you've got to move forward. You've got to move forward the way Samuel did. You've to move forward the way each of us need to. He wants obedience, not perfection. And the third thing that we can find from this is that God's plan is you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's each one of you. You were placed at this point in time, in this location, for a reason. God is not sitting up there like this, like a chill guy going, I don't know, I guess it's cool if they love each other. That's not how God talks. He picked each one of you to cause the ripple in the life of somebody else. Each one of you. And to show you how, like, crazy this is. Let's look at 1st Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Wait a minute here. So this is the David who wrote a lot of so- the book of Psalms. He wrote stuff like, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. You knew me and knitted me together in my mother's womb. David wrote these things. He knew that God has ordained his life before it started. Why on earth is he waiting for an imperfect guy who's done to have an interaction with him before the Spirit of God came and rested on him? Doesn't that blow anybody else's mind? That moment? Now, I don't don't understand this in the Bible. This is probably one of the biggest things, this in salvation. Why in salvation doesn't God just write across the sky, I am God, follow me, love me, and you will go to heaven? Everybody would do it. But he leaves it in our hands to tell people. I don't get that, but he does. And the same thing about our interaction with people. He put it in our hands to have this interaction And that's when his spirit fell on David. Through imperfect hands, he uses you, every one of you, imperfectly, to do his perfect will. Do you guys wanna make a little impact or a big impact? You gotta move forward. You gotta know you're the one. What's interesting is Samuel really understood this. David wasn't so lucky. I said earlier that some of you did not have family that treated you right. David didn't either. His dad didn't even invite him inside to meet with Samuel. Okay? Now the Bible also describes David as a man after God's own heart, while his older brother calls his heart wicked. Anybody else have a family member or person in your life that has said hurtful things to you? David understands. So what is a guy to do? Well, Samuel's the end of his life. Now he has this guy, but he's like, he's not going to make it much longer. Well, God gave him a friend in Jonathan. Now to give you just a quick little background on who Jonathan is, Jonathan is Saul's son. So the king, who doesn't know he's no longer king, and when he finds out he's going to kill him, Right? He wants to kill David, he wants to kill Samuel, he wants to kill everybody, he's a mad. His own son chooses David. And God did that for him. Now let's read First Samuel 18, 1 and then verse 3 and 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. He literally took the clothes off his back because he loved him so much. And I think when we do not have what God intended us to have from our family, he brings Jonathans in our life. What if... Just think with me for a minute. What if our entire church acted that way? What if all of us were a Jonathan and loved other people more than ourselves and took the clothes right off our back and gave them away? That's how God intends it. That's the ripple effect he's talking about. And I'm so thankful Jonathan was there. He encouraged David and stayed by David's side. Left his own dad and encouraged David. Time and time again. You guys are God's plan A in everybody's life around you. You're His first plan, His first choice. He wants to use you to impact them. And not just a little, but a lot. Think of the correlation. How many times was built into Samuel and how great he did? How great of a friend Jonathan was and how great David did? They wrote giant books of the Bible because of that. So as we're closing, I want to tell you guys a story of Tom and John. So Tom was a guy that lived in England, and he wanted to um, have some friends and stay active, so he joined a swim club. And Tom gets there, and he quickly meets a coach named John. Well John was kind of a great coach, and a lot of people like were working with him, and Uh, So Tom's just like, I'm just going to learn from him. Well over the time of their interaction together, John convinces Tom, get this, that he could swim the English Channel. And Tom's like, well if he thinks I can, I think I can. So he goes, I'm going to start training for it. Now, most people die from that not because of exhaustion or sharks or whatever else you might think, but because of the hypothermia. So Tom starts really training. He only takes cold showers from then out. He sleeps with the window open and only a sheet on all winter long to prepare his body for these extremely cold temperatures all the time while training with John swimming. So they get to the point where they're ready to go, and he says, I want to break a world record." And John's like, yeah, let's do it. Bring it on. We can do it together. Bring it on. We're going to do it right now. So they get to the shore, and if you were to fly like the bird, did they have to say the bird flies? I don't know. It's 20 miles. The shortest route. But because of the currents, they marked out an S shape for Tom to swim, and it was 32 miles. So we had to go 12 miles longer because of that day, those currents. So he gets in the water and he's like, I'm going to do it, and Tom starts swimming, and he's on pace. The first half he is doing phenomenal, and he only sees his coach when he stops and needs a drink or a quick little bite to eat, and he just keeps on swimming. And they have the boats around him, and his coach is in one of the boats. He gets about halfway, things start turning south. And by the time he was, had a one-third left, so about 10 miles, his body goes into complete shutdown. And he describes it as a deep depression or like that feeling right before you go to sleep in your warm bed and you're just kind of drifting off and everything's warm. So remember how cold the water is and how his body's warm? Like that's a danger sign, right? And he starts drifting off, and he goes, and then I would hear either my coach's voice, or I'd hear a foghorn, and I'd be startled back awake. Well, my, his coach recognized this, and he gets where he's in eyesight of him, and for the last 10 miles, he goes eye to eye. Just swim in my eyes, you and me, swim in me 10 miles, eye to eye all the way in. Then they get about a mile out and he gets out of the big boat and he gets into a little rowboat and he starts yelling, go, 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 all the way in. All the way to the shore. And guess what? Tom broke a world record that day. He did it and it was because of his coach. But he didn't do the fastest swim ever. He broke the record for the youngest. He was 11 years old. Now, I can't even get my 11-year-olds to just make their bed. <laughs> I need Tom to teach me, or I need John to teach me some stuff. But think of the impact. Think of that impact that he made. In fact, if you were to study both guys, John's more famous, and he's the coach. Who are you going to impact to greatness? Take out your as rocks and hold them. I'm going to have the band come up right now. Who are you going to have an I-see-in-you moment? Who are you going to make so many ripples, they become waves and start changing the environment? Who is that? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your children. Maybe co-workers. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood. For me, my rock represents two groups of people. But who does it represent for you? So, during this opening song, we have a pile of rocks over here and a pile of rocks over here. If you'll say and make a covenant with me, just like Samuel and David did that day, and make a covenant and say, I am going to maybe start if you haven't ever done it and you haven't ever built into anybody. For maybe you're like the, like the Church of Thessalonica that said, you're already doing it, it Do more. And you're like, I'm going to dedicate myself today to being that person eye to eye with somebody and saying, I got you. I'm going to help you to the finish line. And if that's you today, during the song, will you come up, take a minute if you want, and just pray with your rock, and then lay it at the altar as a symbol that you are gonna say from this day forward, I know that I am plan A. I'm God's plan A for the people in my life. Will you guys stand with us just as we close in worship and then just move forward throughout the song whenever you feel you need.